and welcome to Tea or Books. I'm Rachel. I'm Simon. And this is episode 49 of Tea or Books. I mean, we can't believe it. I know. Big 5-0 next time. Yeah. Ooh. Thankfully, not for <laughs> us personally, but for the podcast. <laughs> um, not that there's anything wrong with being 50. To anyone out there listening who is 50, dug myself into a hole there. Yes, just keep going. Keep moving. Yeah, just keep moving. <laughs> so today we are discussing... Um, for our first half, which is suggested by Kay, was it not, Simon? That's right, yes. Um, death of the author or not. So do we um, do we let biographies um, or autobiographies of authors influence um, our reading? And do we like to read about the life of an author before we read their books or not? And then the second half will be pitting two books against each other, a neo-Victorian novel and a Victorian novel. So Possession by A.S. Byatt. And The Woman in White by Wilkie Collins. Should be an interesting discussion. Yeah. Seeing as we've both actually recently read the book, so we, we can be specific, which often we can't. <laughs> well, I can with The Woman in White. <laughs> it's been a well, long time both, since I've I read the I've got both bases covered, so <laughs> I've actually prepared for once. <laughs> so, Simon, um, how are you? It's been a lovely holiday. Tell us all about it. I have. I've just come back from a lovely long weekend in a castle in Dorset, So, um, <laughs> as you do. <laughs> so it's called Woodsford Castle for those who want to look it up it's a landmark trust property and it is an actual castle it's enor- it was enormous there were six of us and we just sort of sat around this beautiful um, who knows how old it is very old castle <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, reading books and playing games and eating a lot of food it was wonderful. what a wonderful weekend yeah. that sounds absolute bliss it was great so there were six of us there and, and I was the only person who knew everybody else well so I sort of and I'd organised it so I was just like I hope all these people get on but they did and it was and it was because you don't want one person who really wants to be you know chatting all the time if everyone else wants to be reading a book all the time for yeah. example or vice versa but luckily should I, should I be offended that I wasn't invited oh probably yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'd be very welcome to come the next holiday I, I seem that you probably quite like that sort of holiday right yeah, absolutely. That's all that my holidays are. <laughs> You're down. Lying Put around. you on the list. Yeah, please do. Great. Actually, yeah, Paul and Kirsty are very keen for you to come on a holiday to Hay and Wye with, with, with all of us. And I keep saying, I can't go to Hay and Wye. I'm only buying 24 books this year. But, <laughs> <laughs> but next year, <laughs> you should come. Oh, well, I really want to go to Hay and Wye. There you go. Perfect. Mm. Um, I will tell you what I'm reading in a second, but I have, before I forget, I have to tell you a joke that I, I made oh, that God. I really enjoy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're going to. <laughs> so you know you write about your lady botanists in Victorian literature. Yes. So I came up with a title that you should call the book when you write it. Okay. <laughs> so, so, it's so not as funny as I'm making it. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen prefer fronds. <laughs> That's actually really good. <laughs> <laughs> I must have cut some of this out. <laughs> laughing to myself about it ever since I thought of it a couple of days ago. <laughs> I think I'd be really proud of myself if I come up with that. That's really good. Thank you so much. Oh, so, that's going to be the title of my PhD uh, thesis. <laughs> it really should be. Oh dear. But yes, so, calm down, Simon. Um, so, one of the books that I was reading was away is very good collection of short stories by Sylvia Townsend Warner. Um, so I bought all of Sylvia Townsend Warner's short story collections during my PhD thinking I should read these if I'm going to write about Sylvia Townsend Warner and then read none of them but, oh. but I'm enjoying gradually reading them post-PhD 
Um, and the one I'm reading at the moment is the edition I've got is called Swans on an Autumn River. Which well, it is the, like a nice which is a, thing. It is a nice title, isn't it? It's the US title. Um, and in the UK, it was called Stranger with a Bag. It's just slightly less glamorous. But what confused me is that they changed the title for the US to include the word autumn in the title, which I'm sure most people in the US know what autumn means, but wouldn't normally use it, would they? No, they say fall. Yeah, I don't know if that's regional, but I think most or all of America say fall rather than autumn. So very confusing publication history (laughs) to that title. But she's such a brilliant short story writer. I've... I should read her more often, but it's, yeah, up there, possibly after Catherine Mansfield, my favourite, I think. Um, well, so tell me the name of this again. So either Swans on an Autumn River or Stranger with a Bag. Because um, if you read, it's one of them called The Phoenix. Ooh, I'll reach over one second. Mm-mm. Or something of that nature. Let's have a look. None of the ones I've read so far are called that, but maybe some towards the end are. No. <laughs> because I was very surprised and interested to see that my IGCSE students have got an anthology of short stories that we have to study, and there is a Sylvia Townsend Warner short story in the IGCSE syllabus, yeah. which, um, yeah, I was very surprised by and pleased at seeing. Well, I'm sure it's in one of the collections I've got. So. But I'm sure it is. Um, and I can't remember which collection it was that I already read, to be honest. So... Um, but what's also quite nice is that the um, the collection of letters that she wrote with William Maxwell that I've talked about a few times is called The Element of Lavishness, or it was called The Element of Lavishness when they when they were uh, collected. Yeah. Um, because he was her short story editor at The New Yorker, it often goes into quite some depth as they talk back and forth about nuances in a story or whether or not or why he's accepted it, or why he's rejected it, and all sorts. So um, yeah, now I finish or when I finish it, I go back and look through the letters and see if they've talked about these particular ones or not. Well, okay. Yeah. It includes one called um, A Love Match, which is quite notorious, but I won't won't say why, but but hopefully that's intriguing enough to get someone to go and get out that collection, (laughs) or at least that story. I'm sure it's a Faber Finds, according to Amazon. Oh, is it? Yeah, so it is in print. Oh, excellent. That's unusual for my recommendation. (laughs) I know, I say. I should uh, put my wish list, Simon. Oh, excellent. I think it may well appear on my best books of the year if I finish it in time. Goodness. I, I get very, not very cross, mildly cross with people doing um, best books of the year before the last couple of days of the year. Think, you never know you what know, might sneak in. You might still read something great, like this one. Yeah. Uh, what are you reading at the moment? Well, I just this morning finished reading um, A.N. Wilson's biography of Queen Victoria. Oh, yes. Which was very interesting. Very long, but very interesting. I mean, A.N. Wilson is kind of, you know, he can be a bit eccentric. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, his recent biography of, of Darwin is a joke, but in oh, terms really? of... Oh, really? Why? Yes, well, it's all just lies. It's ridiculous. Oh. I, are we, we going to get sued for saying that, or is this widely acknowledged yeah, it's now? Very, widely acknowledged. <laughs> in fact, I, I bought it off Amazon and then returned it because I was like, I'm sorry, but this isn't a biography of Darwin. It's just fanciful. How bizarre. Um, it's not at all what it's advertised as. And they agreed with me and gave me my refund. Um, <laughs> Amazon sat down, read it, said, no, you're yeah. right. <laughs> okay, Rachel, we hear what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> it's very upset. I mean, I love Charles Darwin, so you know. Um, but what was I saying? can't remember. Yes. So anyway, this biography was actually really good. And he manages to write about stuff um, that you wouldn't think was interesting. And very, he's just very gossipy and fun. So it's really enjoyable to read. And I felt like I learned a lot. So that was good. And then... Um, 
I've also just reread The Turn of the Screw, which I had to read for university. Okay, what do you um, think of it? Well, do you know what? I read it a long time ago and, and liked it well enough. And then I read it this time, and I was confused, because do you remember a couple of years ago, they did it for uh, Christmas time, they did a, a show of it on the BBC. I not only remember it, they filmed it part of it in one of my dad's church's graveyards, and he was stood behind oh, the camera yeah. as they were filming it. How exciting. Yeah. So they did that, and... They they kind of framed it within the narrative of her being in a lunatic asylum, the nanny. Okay. And I misremembered the novel and thought that was what the novel was as well, but it but it's not. Um, and the novel itself is far more ambiguous than the adaptation that I watched, and it's ambiguous to the point where I don't actually think you can come up with a definitive answer, which normally bothers me with books, because I like there to be just enough clues for you to be able to feel comfortable mm-hmm. with your interpretation, but I still, I don't feel comfortable with my interpretation, so I'm looking forward to um, discussing it with my class tomorrow. Yes, well, yes I, I, some of the ambiguity comes from the fact that his sentences are so long that any sort of meaning is completely yeah. gone from them. I mean, Henry, <laughs> I'm not a fan of Henry James, I have to say. That's, in fact, still the only full-length Henry James book I've read, even though it is very short, but um, I've read a few short stories. But yes, I, I found it intensely annoying. <laughs> but, but, I, but I was very tired when I read it. Perhaps I'd enjoy it more another time. I don't think you would, but... Pro- probably not, no. <laughs> Great. Um, so yes, this first topic was suggested by Kay. Um, she didn't use the term death of the author, but we were trying to find a way to summarise it. Because <laughs> um, mm. I needed to type it into the name of the podcast at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, but shall I read what, what um, Karen wrote? So I keep calling yeah. her Karen and Kay because she goes by both names. But, um, um, the question is, is it legitimate to read a biography to shed light on an author's work, possibly colouring or enhancing your interpretation, or should the novels be allowed to stand alone as works of art and appreciated for themselves, independent of their creator? Wow. Isn't that well put? Well done, Karen. That's okay. Mm. Um, well, do you feel like we should start paying Karen slash Kay because she's giving us all our ideas? Well, I know exactly, yes. Keep them coming, please. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I know that we're not going to, we're not a particularly political podcast, but I think it's an interesting question in the light of a lot of scandals going on at the moment because there's a lot of people who are being engaging in a is the art separate from the artist discussions. Yes, indeed. Um, and can you, and you know, people drag out things like Dali was a terrible person, but we like his paintings and all that sort of thing. And I don't know if, if, uh, if the question only concerns people who are, Terrible people don't come still enjoy the novels because I think there's other other aspects to it. Um, but have there been any, any authors where you found out something about them that made you like them less, or or maybe made you wonder whether you should like them less, but actually didn't, or something like that? Yes, um, I remember when I read. I think I've probably mentioned this several times before, but um, I had a real love affair with Virginia Woolf when I was at school. Mm. Read all of her books didn't really understand them all but thought that the writing was beautiful and then I read later Virginia Woolf and the Servants by Alison Light um, which is a wonderful book and it's all about how Virginia Woolf basically treated her servants and people of a lower class and the snobbery and just kind of disdain that she had for people who were not of her ilk really put me off her and even though I can still appreciate her writing I don't love her books in the same way yeah as i probably said last time we talked about it i have that book and i've had it for many years but i've not read it and things like that 
do put me off picking it up because I'm sure it's very interesting and, and all that. And I've read, um, Alison wrote a really good book about, um, sort of alternatives to modernism that was really useful in medieval. And that was really interesting. And she wrote about Ivy Conton Burnett quite a lot. It's called Forever oh. England. Um, I think it was Ivy Conton Burnett, Agatha Christie, and a couple of other authors that she, she focused it through. So it was really interesting. But, oh. um, but yes, I am, I'm where, well, on what's, I'm sort of wary of being put off for Ginny Wolf, but at the same time, I already don't think I'd get on with her as a person, particularly, even without knowing all the details of her snobbery. No, that's true. I still just, I still just really admire him. I'm writing, obviously. Um, I do feel similar with Daphne de Maurier, uh, though. I, I haven't read Margaret Forster's autobiography, sorry, biography of her, that a lot of people said was very, um, painted in a very bad light. Um, but I did read her letters with Oriel Mallet or Mallet, not sure, oh. um, which are called Letters from Menabilly, or possibly Letters to Menabilly, but um, or possibly a different title altogether. But um, she seemed very unpleasant in that and quite rude to her supposed friend. Um, yeah. The the line which I paraphrase, but which has stayed with me uh, at least in in uh, gist, is where she writes to Oriel and says. Um, if I had been much less successful, my life would probably have been rather like yours. <laughs> <laughs> a charming note for anyone to receive. <laughs> well, lovely. Um, but despite being put off the authors, I don't know how much it does affect when I'm reading a book. I don't think... It, might, it, would, it would affect how I read their autobiography um, or a memoir or something, but I don't think it affects how I think about their, their novels. I think for me, and this is probably says more about me than it does about them, but um, I feel like if I can't respect somebody's morals, I can't enjoy what they've created. Really? Mm. Like, you know, to, to bring it up to date somewhat, um, so for example, I've always loved Kevin Spacey and thought he was a fantastic actor, and now mm. I, I, I won't be able to watch anything with him in again. And I think there is that element of when you enjoy somebody's art, you kind of enter into a relationship with them in a way like you're kind of you feel like a bit of your soul speaks to their soul. And I feel a bit sullied by the fact that they're this person. I mean, obviously, everybody makes mistakes. But in terms of, you know, if I can't respect their political viewpoint or, you know, it's like when I found out that the Mitford sisters were Nazis, it certainly, well, some of them. Yeah. Um, Put, put me off their writing in a way and put me off wanting to read what they'd written because I thought, well, how can I enjoy what you write when you want, you agreed with killing people and doing all these things? Like I can't get past that and I can't enjoy what you've written and laugh at your jokes and things knowing that secretly you were thinking all those things. Yeah, I guess there's a couple of things that make it slightly different for me. Like uh, with actors, I think I probably agree with you partly because you, you just can't, not realise that the actor's there. You're looking at them, they're constantly reminding yeah. you of that what the person did. With a, with a book, I guess I see more of a disjoint between the creation and the creator because the author isn't constantly in front of me, if they're a, particularly if they're a good writer. Um, and then I think I'd feel a lot more wary with a living author if I if they'd really lost my respect with their morals in some way um, or if they just seemed like a horrible person because partly because I know they're alive out there in the world and partly because... I don't want them to profit off me reading them <laughs> yeah. them to buy the book. Whereas if it's someone who's died, partly you've got the 
which you know the things were different in those days, which obviously well, yeah. doesn't doesn't always work. Certainly doesn't work with Nazism, um, but with some, I can think of some cases. Um, you know, like I wouldn't stop reading William Shakespeare because his treatment of women wasn't what we'd expect today, sort of thing. No. Um, and I, this, this I think there's black and white and probably some some shades of grey in the middle. Um, but I think generally, yeah, I if I go back to if it's a good writer, then well, actually, yes, there's another thing. Um, I want writers that I consider good to write things that have nothing to do with their lives and get quite annoyed if I find out that the characters in their books are based on real people or they or themselves or that the events in it are based on real events. Um, that's a slightly different question, but what do you how do you feel about that? Um see I find that quite interesting actually and that's why I, I enjoy reading about writers um, before I or, or what before I've read their books or while I'm reading their books because I I like to be able to then read their book and think oh that must have been uh, that when they were experiencing this or this must have been a reflection of of that and I and I like being able to spot those moments where you can see the real person behind the text. Yeah, okay. Because so, I, I remember reading Beryl Bainbridge said that she went to historical fiction because she'd essentially run out of scenes from her own life that she thought were interesting. Um, or something like Aldous Huxley's um, Chrome Yellow, where it discovered that everyone in that is based on a real person. Now, it just really annoys me, because I think, you're an author, you're, you're supposed to be making people up. I don't want this to be like a sort of, you know, slightly shielded biography of people. And I, I, I like it if they describe, you know, a house they've lived in as incidental to a plot or something. Like, I like it where you can just see loose connections, but when it's just changing the names <laughs> then, I don't know I, yeah. I expect something else from an author no absolutely but I think when especially when you're studying a book or whatever uh, not necessarily just reading it for pleasure I think that you can get so much more from it if you can look at it from the perspective of well this is a reflection of this in their life and this is this and that is that I mean I remember uh, the first time I realized that actually was when I was doing A-level literature and um, I was reading we were doing John Clare poems mm. And I remember reading one of them and I couldn't make head nor tail of it. And I thought, I just don't understand what this poem is about. I, I don't get this at all. And then the teacher said, well, you know, he wrote this when he was in a lunatic asylum. And then she gave us a bit of information about his life. And I was it's just suddenly his poems were unlocked to me because I could finally understand okay. what he was writing about because I understood he was writing about his own experience of madness. And I think sometimes when... I mean, it's not necessarily, I think it's probably more the case with poetry because the meaning is, is obviously more obscure. But when you're looking at a novel and, and you can come at it thinking, well, they wrote this after the death of their mother or they wrote this um, as a, this is a retelling of their childhood memory or this, that and the other. I think it just becomes more alive and more interesting and, and you can make connections. Like, for example, when you find out that, I mean, you always find out these things because you're always buying letters of, of people, but find <laughs> Yeah. That, you know, such a writer was friends with another writer and then you can start to see influences in their work in that way. And, and I, I just, I think it's natural in us to want to make that personal collection, connection. And also we are, without even thinking about it, psychological Freudian readers, all of us are. We live in that age when it's just natural for us to try and look beneath the surface of somebody's mind and find out how they're expressing themselves through a, perhaps a more subliminal, um, piece of writing and I think 
I just think it adds a lot of richness for me personally. I, I enjoy that. But then I'm quite a nosy person, so I like <laughs> I like finding out all these things and being able to make these connections. But I can absolutely see that also at the same time, you want to come to a book and enjoy it for what it is, and you don't want to feel that the writer's intruding on the fictional world, if you see what I mean. And I guess it depends what sort of book it is as well. Like, like if it, I'm trying to think of examples really I can only think of counterexamples. Like, if you're reading a detective novel or something, it doesn't really matter. No, absolutely. Um, in, oh, in some exceptions, perhaps. Like, I found it interesting while I was reading Naya Marsh's opening night to know that she'd worked in theatres herself, just to yeah. see that connection. But if it's just, you know, in a country house with, pop, you know, the butler did it sort of thing. Um, but if it's describing a really emotional moment, like, I don't know, something that is... What could it, like, I don't know like um, losing a child or something, it makes a lot more difference to know whether or not the author had experienced that. Um, I can see that. Um, I do think it sort of ties into this recent foray around Elena Ferrante and people being desperate to find out the author's real name and real yeah. identity in life because I was f- fully on the side of she doesn't want to reveal it, don't, so that's fine, don't make her, but also, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> like, I've, It's very easy for me to say leave it alone because I've got no curiosity at all to find out more about her life. Um, I And I love reading about authors, but pretend, probably only authors that I already really love. Um, yeah. I think a lot of people there who were just desperate to find out more about Ellen Ferrante, regardless of whether or not they liked her books, it seemed like journalists were all over it just because she was famous, whereas, you know... Yeah. I, Someone like you know, Dan Brown, I don't like him, I've, his writing. I have no interest in knowing anything about his life, even if he has a very exciting life, don't care. Whereas someone like A.M.L., I do want to know as much as I can about his life. But that is just because I'm interested in him as a writer, not, I think, to reveal more about his books to me, if, that, if you can see the distinction there. No, absolutely. You want to find out about his attitude towards his writing and his writing process as opposed yeah, to... Yeah, that's exactly it, yeah. Yeah, finding him beneath the, the words on the page. Yeah, I mean, I suppose there is a kind of another element of it to me, though, that where I don't like finding out things. Um, and I remember the first time I read a biography of Frances Hodgson Burnett, and before I read the biography of her, I was imagined her having this wonderful life. You know, she wrote my favourite children's books, and I just imagined her as being... You know, spending her whole life sitting in a garden writing with, you know, beautiful houses and just loveliness. And that I imagined that she had lots of children, like in the books, and that she'd mm. been happy. And then when I read her biography and found out, you know, she'd had a miserable life and she was desperately unhappy. I was like, oh my goodness, this is so tragic. And yeah, yeah. All these um, hopes that I'd had for her and her life were shattered. And it really put an edge of sadness on reading her books because I thought she was writing an ideal that she never experienced. And Sometimes I'd just rather not know. Yeah. Which, yeah, I can completely... Particularly with something so laced with nostalgia and idealism yeah. and all that sort of thing. Um, and that's obviously the sort of books that she wanted to create and wanted to project into the world. I know. Because um, she never got to experience it. It just makes me sad just thinking about it. <laughs> when you start a book, do you um, ever look up details about the author before you start if you don't know them? Or do you just only look up once if you have liked the book and you're interested in it? Um, I think if I picked up a book off the shelf in the shop, I'd, I'd normally would have a quick look just to see who they were, like to see whether they they were somebody that who'd written other things. Like, is this something I'm likely to be interested in? 
how old are they? Are they British? Are they American? Are they Australian? You know, are they from somewhere else? Um, sometimes, yeah, if I don't know the mm. author, then I would always have a, a quick look online. Um, but they, I wouldn't let that affect whether I bought it or not, or read okay. it or not. Just for interest's sake, you know. Yeah. Um, I did have a thing recently, my complete lack of curiosity, that I read the entirety of um, Two Middle-Aged Ladies in Andalusia by Penelope Chetwood, um, and without realising that she was John Betjeman's wife, <laughs> which ah. I read from my book group and saw him mentioned something about John Betjeman had done the quote for their book and wasn't it wasn't that a bit suspicious and I was like but why <laughs> and, <laughs> um yes and she'd referred to her husband in the book but not by name wow. um I was like oh that makes more sense why this book was published in the first place probably <laughs> <laughs> not that well, it was that was good, then. oh it was fine I just was like but why I just was a bit confused why anyone would publish it um even though I enjoyed it it was just a lady talking about her travels essentially yeah. <laughs> um yeah, well, um, looking at the time. Yeah, let's, let's conclude on that part. Um, <laughs> I think I am going to decide, um, death of the author. I'm going to keep the, the text broadly on its own. Whilst I'm interested in the writing process, I'm not particularly interested in, yeah, changing my view of, of a novel based on the author's life and personality. I would have to say the exact opposite. Yeah. I'm too, I'm too much of a psychoanalytic reader, I'm afraid. <laughs> That's a really interesting one. Thanks for suggesting it, Karen. Yeah, it's um, really interesting. And do let us know what you think. Mm. Um, so, um, yes, not Karen. Well, yes, Karen. You haven't either. But everyone. <laughs> Anyone and everyone. Um, <laughs> oh, whilst I remember, um, in the next episode, episode 50, we'll be doing a Q&A. We've had lots of great questions in. They can be about podcasting, books, anything else. Um, you can either send them to simonthomasoxford at gmail.com or we both have blog posts up where you can comment. Um, and probably um i was going to say next week but i don't know when i know this in the, if you get them in by the 16th or 17th of december then we will almost certainly answer them in our in episode 50 which will just be going through your questions and chatting about them yeah i thought yes better do that before i forget but yes um <laughs> second half of this episode we're talking about um, I think 1860 novel The Woman in White by Wilkie Collins around mid mid 19th century anyway, and the 1996 I want to say novel Possession by A. S. Byatt. Um, yes. As Rachel said, one is Victorian, one is near Victorian. Um, having just finished Possession, would you like to give us a quick pricey to that? Yes, I would. Um, so Possession is set both in the the present day and well the present day of when the novel was written. Um, and then, the, well, she's set in the 80s, I think. Um, and then we have uh, flashbacks to the Victorian era because the book is about um, a guy whose name I know I can't remember. That's embarrassing. I've literally just read this book. Um, Ash, Rand- Randolph Henry, Henry Ash, is that? That's a poet. Oh, who are you after? Oh, you're after the main, the main yes, modern guy. Name. I've got the Wikipedia page open. <laughs> Why is he not going to name? <laughs> I know the name of the women, but I can't think of his name. Um, Roland Mitchell. I thought I was going to say Roland, but then I thought that doesn't sound right. No, his name is Roland. So Roland is uh, an impoverished postgraduate researcher um, working on uh, an obscure Victorian poet. Well, not that obscure, a a Victorian poet called um, Randolph Henry Ashe. He is kind of a loose Tennyson, basically. Um, and he's got no money. He's got um, a depressing flat that he lives in and he's got an awful girlfriend and their relationship is terrible. 
um, and basically his life's not great and he's doubting all of his life decisions and then he goes off to the British Library one day to do some research or the London Library one of them and he he gets an original copy of uh, Randolph Henry Ashe's book and he wants uh, of a book of his and he wants to to check the marginalia to find out some information about what he thought about this book and when he opens the book which hasn't been looked at since the, the 19th century two letters fall out and these letters are written to a woman who is not his wife and they are love letters and it has always been believed that um, Randolph Henry Ash was devoted to his wife etc etc so this is like huge huge groundbreaking discovery and Roland without thinking about it hides the letters doesn't tell anyone about them and then he sets off on this trail basically to find out who the letters are written to and why and in doing so he meets um, Maud who is a lecturer Maud Bailey who's a lecturer in a female poet who they find out that the letters have been written to and it's basically about them uncovering the true story of of the relationship between these two poets and also um, developing a relationship themselves in the process and also lots of hilarity ensuing about (laughs) ridiculous academic uh, competition and um, just general really interesting comments about academic life and what it is to to give your life to something that doesn't necessarily matter to anyone else or contribute to the world in general. Great. Um, and the Warner White, which I have just finished reading within the last hour, <laughs> um, is a Victorian, um, I guess, sort of melodrama slash mystery slash gothic inspired <laughs> slash all sorts of things um, about what well, is told from many different narrators. But one of the main of them is Walter Hartwright, who is a young drawing master um, who starts off the novel encountering the woman in white. <laughs> so a woman entirely dressed in white who is... Uh, lost in London looking for directions um, which he gives her um, and then he goes off to his post as a drawing master to um, two youngish women called Laura and Marin or particularly Laura um, who are orphaned but no not no they're they're dead one of them's dad is trying to think how the man relates to the daughter uncle step uncle yeah she's their Laura's uncle that's right. Thank you. So, yes, they're not quite sisters, but they're basically sisters. They're half-sisters, aren't yes. they? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. It was, I got quite confused. The the relationship. Same, I think they've got the same mother. Yes, that sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was such a long time ago that I was at the beginning of this book. It's very long. Drawing <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, uh, Master falls in love with Laura, but she's already betrothed to oh. Sir Percival, gasp. Um, <laughs> he comes along... Marries her, takes her away, turns out to be a bit of a baddie, and I won't spoil any more of the plot from there, but um but essentially um lots of you know things you'd expect in a mid Victorian n- melodramatic novel. <laughs> um, yeah. um and why is the woman in, in white so significant? Who is she? What she what role does she play? Why does she nab the title? Yeah. Um When did you first read these books, Rachel? So I had a very vivid memory, actually. It made me feel a bit sad um, of reading <laughs> Possession when I was a teenager. And I remember very much reading it in my bedroom, my childhood bedroom, which now belongs to somebody else. Oh. Um, I know. And just absolutely falling in love with it. And I remember reading that book and thinking, this is the kind of thing I want to write one day. Oh. Yeah. And Women in White, I think I read it when I was at university. 
Well, I read Possession at a very similar time, so I was 16 or 17, I think. Um, and it's the only time I've read it, <laughs> so I will not remember anything about it. But I have seen the film many times since, which <laughs> may or may not... Um, Wikipedia tells me that they're not very similar. So I'll do my best. But yes, it was when I... I can't remember what what the first connection um, was, but I was babysitting um, for a lady from church, or rather, for her children. Um, and she saw me reading some book, rather, and thought, oh, you like reading, you should read. And then she recommended quite a lot of books, including uh, Virginia Woolf. But one of one of them was uh, Possession, mm. which, yeah, I really enjoyed. And then The Woman in White, I bought in 2004, <laughs> in preparation to, for my Victorian literature module in first year at university, and I read this week. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, got there eventually. Yeah. Um, Let's start with The Woman in White, because I have thoughts. <laughs> so, um, Do you want to start if you've got burning <laughs> So thoughts? I messaged you earlier in the week saying, <laughs> I've got thoughts, and you replied saying, I'm so glad you're loving it. I thought, those are not the thoughts I'm having, Rachel. I'm <laughs> oh, everyone loves this book. I put it on Instagram, and everyone in the replies is like, oh, you'll love it, it's brilliant. I, I read this last year, it was amazing. And I started off enjoying it. And I found it so slow and boring and annoying, and I just went and bit, bits of it I liked. Um, and again, I did really like the beginning um, and the scene setting, but I just found it so slow and so cumulus <laughs> that I just found it really hard to cope with it. And I'm, ah! <laughs> I think most of my annoyance, perhaps, apart from, again, the fact that nothing happens for such long periods of time is that she, Laura, just when she's about to marry Sir Percival, says, you said that I could... Basically, he says, you don't have to marry me if you don't want to. And she's like, well, I promised my dead father or my great-uncle or someone that I would. So even though I don't want to and I really don't love you, um, I'm going to, unless you let me off the hook. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. So she says, oh, okay, then I guess I have to marry you. We all know it'll end terribly, but... <laughs> That's it. And then, of course, it ends terribly. It's like, well, why did you marry the new silly woman? You didn't have to. <laughs> Everything could have been prevented <laughs> if you just said, actually, I will take you from that upper. See you. I'll marry this drawing master. He seems nice. Yeah. Breathe. <laughs> no, I mean, absolutely. And the thing is, I think unless I I weren't so steeped in Victorian fiction, which I am, and I'm so very aware of the ridiculous plot, twists and you know features of them I would have been very frustrated too um but I think something that I always have to remind myself of when I read 19th century fiction is that you are reading a book where you cannot possibly 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 in any way comprehend the uh social and moral um kind of strictures on these people's lives mm. and I think because when I read this again and I read that bit about that, I was like, oh, for goodness sake, why can't somebody stop her from marrying him? Like, you don't have to do this. I mean, I would never marry someone because my dead father has said I had to. If I didn't feel comfortable doing it, I wouldn't. But then at the time, you would have done as a woman. If your father had agreed that you could marry this man, you would trust him implicitly and you would marry that person because it's what you felt mm. that you should do. And especially if it had been made known that you were going to marry somebody, the shame, the embarrassment, etc., would stop you from doing it. Um, from and I think you know it's very much like um, I suppose in a way when I guess 
I mean, I don't know if you're watching The Crown at the moment. Um, no. But there's this discussion in The Crown of like, you know, not being able to get divorced, even though you're very unhappy. The king, the, like, the queen, and the and the Duke of Edinburgh, and this idea of we're so stuck, even though we're miserable, we have to do what our society tells us to do. It's it's like the age, um, not the age of innocence. Yes, it's the age of innocence when. Um, what's his face won't marry the countess because he's like i can't um we can't do this like you're divorced it would be so terrible we'd be ostracized from society and we think it's ridiculous but for them it meant everything well i forgive them that they already forgave them the unlikely doppelganger situation yeah <laughs> on which much of the plot hinges yeah. um uh and yes I, i'm going to send you there'd be plenty of unrealistic elements and i and i do embrace coincidence in novels yeah, where need you. um but yeah i was expecting to find it sort of a, a you know a, a pacey exciting over the top and silly but enjoyable read and i just i found it really hard to get through the chapters because yeah. i don't know it was just every every sentence seemed to be about four well every paragraph seemed to be about four times longer than it needed to be um and if I hadn't been reading it for podcasts, if I thought, oh, I'll just read this gradually over several months, then maybe it wouldn't have mattered um, reading other things in between or whatever, but because I had to read it quickly. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's not a, I don't think a lot of Victorian, Victorian novels aren't pacey in general, in my experience, um, largely because they were meant to be read in installments. So each kind of chapter is quite pacey, but the story takes so long to unfold. And also, you know, you can see every coincidence and plot turn twist coming uh, from a mile away. Yeah. yeah. But I, I don't think the original audience would have done. No, I mean, certainly. Well, there's at least one that I um, I thought was quite well done and also made me realise that Sarah Waters is not as original as I thought. But no, I think the Smith is, yes. is probably white, right, yeah. Because um, I was looking at Wikipedia and it said that Fingersmith was a reimagining of Woman in White. And I was yeah. thinking, hmm, I don't know if it was meant to be, but <laughs> perhaps it was. It's one of those things where I think maybe it came too close to the bone, so they decided to call it that. But who knows? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I I, I was disappointed. By the, I will go to the positives, because it certainly wasn't things I hated. I really liked Marianne. I thought she was a great creation. So she's this intelligent and determined um, and um, loyal woman who's... A, often a narrator in it as well. I say narrator, it's always, you know, found manuscripts or whatever because it's a Victorian yeah. novel. No one can ever just be a narrator. <laughs> they always have to have written it somewhere. But it takes you back to, I know it's not Victorian, but to um, Pamela. Oh, gosh. Scribbling this diary away. It, you know, often like, I was in the middle of being assaulted. Yeah. She'll just, you know, lean to one side, whip a piece of paper from her dress and just write it down somewhere. <laughs> Um, but, you know, that was sort of, that was the conventions of the novel were the conventions of the novel, that's fine. Yeah. But, um, but yes, I really liked her. My favourite chapter, which was only about three pages long, was from this, um, was it uncle or whatever, Mr. Farley, who yeah. is the guardian of Laura, um, who is a hypochondriac, intensely selfish, who's always worrying that people will come and disturb his rest or might, you know, make too much noise or anything. Yeah. Um, and he's written, he has to make a statement about something, um, for as part of the investigation. And he's horrified at the notion that anyone should ask him to do anything. And, and he describes everyone who comes to him, anything they say, he puts in brackets, like, why would I care about this? Yeah. <laughs> um, loved him. And it was funny. <laughs> and I was yeah. so happy that there was humor <laughs> <laughs> because I think, 
you know, Dickens is also long-winded and the, and the plots are silly. And, but because I find them very funny, I'm completely on board. But because it's almost quite po-faced most of the time, um, I couldn't. So I just wanted more of him, <laughs> more of the self-awareness in the writing, which I really enjoyed. Um, it's not, I mean, I really enjoy it. I think it's, I think it's really interesting. I think it's quite well plotted. When you think about the length of it, um, and also the fact that something that always amazes me about these sorts of books as well, the length of them, and they were published in installments, so they had, they, they literally wrote them chapter by chapter, and they couldn't yeah. go back and change anything. So, he had to have planned this whole plot out, and you can kind of feel it getting a bit more ridiculous as it goes on. Where it's clearly developing in his own mind as he's writing, and he's like, "All oh, right, somehow I've got to be able to connect this in the end." So what do I do? <laughs> and it gets more outlandish. And uh, I think a lot of the coincidences are ridiculous, and that's where I find the humour in reading them because I'm just like, "This is hilarious." What are the chances? Um, and there is that weird subplot with Count Fosco and things, which I think like you didn't really need that element. Um, and we must talk about him and his wife. Yeah, which is <laughs> um, disturbing in many ways. Very disturbing. Um, but I think, you know, it's, I read it from the perspective of, of, I always enjoy thinking about what the original audience would have, have thought when they read this. And I just think it's a, a real example of a classic 19th century shocker with, you know, the, the terrible treatment of women. You can imagine the outrage of the 19th century readership and everyone getting behind Laura and the dastardly Sir Percival and, um, so yeah, I mean, I just, I just find it really fun. But it's not his best. I think No Name is his best. I've heard other people say that as well. Mm-hmm. But yes, Count Fosco is this um, foreign count. He's who's very large. They always bring that up. Very large. <laughs> um, and very cruel in many ways, mm-hmm. but also admires his nemesis and, um, and is quite chivalrous and gentlemanly in tone, if not in action. Um, and is besotted with white mice. And you get this strange feeling that he's meant to be a at least partly a comic character. But then a part of his thing is that Madame Fosco, his wife, used to be very rights for women, very outspoken, and now is cowed and silent in his sight and slavishly obeys everything he asks her to do. It talks somewhere about, yeah, he rules her with a rod and iron, but only in private, which is quite disturbing. And I found it, and I know it's not written in 2017, but it was, yeah, I found it a very disturbing depiction of cruelty to a wife. Um, And in the book... The ca- some characters see it as that, but you, I got the feeling that we were also supposed to find it amusing, and I wasn't sure because it wasn't. If it, if there had been characters like this in Dickens where it was wildly over the top, then I might find it sort of satirically amusing. But in this one, because it wasn't over the top and it was just a depiction of cruelty, then it was yeah. It seemed odd to have us throw away like, oh, this is the thing he does. I felt no. I think that we were supposed to find him very disturbing i think he's supposed to be a character who you are frightened of because he is his appearance it's like that appearance versus reality which was something that was very topical at the time um and he's a bit of a dr jekyll and mr hyde if you see what i mean like he's Mm. he's got one he's got a public face and he's got a private face and what goes on behind the scenes as well of a marriage and all those sorts of questions. This is the time when the divorce act is all coming out and people are able to get a divorce. So I think Wilkie Collins was quite switched on thinking about, you know, what does go on behind closed doors. And for a lot, a lot, he was, um, you know, one of his books, The Law and the Lady is all about a woman 
trying to get her legal rights and things. So he was quite interested in that. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll be on the fence about that for the time being. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's talk about possession. Yeah. Um, so yes, I really enjoyed this when I read it um, back in the day. Although I did skip all of the poetry. Yes, me too. I did the same as Hazel. Rubbish, 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 rubbish. It doesn't, so, yes. like Neo, it doesn't read like Victorian poetry, which really bothered me. So we should say for, for anyone who's not read it, there's very long sections, which are, is it both the poets that she yeah. writes? Yeah. yeah. Um, like, adds up to hundreds of pages, I think, so of po- yeah. <laughs> poetry <laughs> that's either supposed to be by Ash or by um, Lamotte, um, which is you know, all very revelatory about their... Love secret uh, yeah. yeah assignations and all that but um but very tedious <laughs> yeah. and the thing is there's no difference in the style of them so it's mm. it's i was kind of like well look you've paid so much you've bothered to write this poetry um to pretend to be victorian poetry at least make them have different voices in them like <laughs> or use different vocabulary so it's obvious that they're different poets but i'm pretty sure there's nobody who's actually read the poetry <laughs> <in this laughs> yes. But yeah, I I think it'll be interesting. I should read it again now that I've actually been a you know literary academic um, and done research and that sort of thing. Because when I read it, obviously I was still doing my A levels. But even then, I love the depiction of, um, I guess it's sort of like a what what happens if you're if you're on the hunt of a thriller or you know or detection, but it's yeah. the, but the results are just literature and manuscripts, and it's and it's elevating. The quest for understanding meaning in literature, and in fact, ties very nicely with our first half in ways I did not expect. <laughs> um, but yes, there's all that with with books and with the motivation behind writing and things, which um, is an unusual topic for that. And I think she really get. I remember it being really engaging, both in terms of um, looking at different ways that writers express themselves and the, and the motivation behind writing and you know the love stories were quite engaging too in in, in not a particularly annoying way which is nice yeah. <laughs> i think it's it's a really nice blend of of basically a bit a bit of a um detective story um with the kind of i suppose a narrative about who are we and what do we leave behind and and what do we really know about people and do we need to know about writer's past? Does it enrich our understanding or doesn't it? And and why do we want to find these things out? Because there is an element of when they're chasing down these stuff and then there's a scene where, um, I, I don't know, I don't think it's was a plot, um, where they kind of, it's sort of they contemplate grave robbery and things. And mm-hmm. there's that element of how much did they want us to know? Because there's also this really interesting character He's and he's um, spent like 25 years looking at the by bi- the diaries of um, ran- the, um, her- uh, Ash's wife's diaries, mm. and she's like, well, you know, there's so much in here that um, I, I don't feel like she's saying, and, and like, did she even ever really want anyone to look at this? Did she want someone to study this? And, and should I be doing this? And there's all these questions about, is it okay for us to publish someone's letters? Is it okay for us to publish someone's diary? Did they want somebody to read this? And how much should we know about a person? And then them all chasing, like there's all this whole team of academics all chasing to try and get these letters before anyone else um, and find out what's in them because they say it's going to change the face of scholarship. Now we know this about these two poets, we can say so much more about them. And actually, if that's the case, then can any work of art stand alone? 
And that's mm. a really interesting question that it asks. Is the, are these poems valueless now? Are the previous readings of these poems valueless because we didn't know this? Like, or do we have to read it within the light of their lives? Which I found really interesting. And I don't know the answer to that myself. I, I don't know whether what I would say to, to that question. But And it's also just a really nice story about people who are really passionate about something and that it's okay yeah, to be yeah. really passionate about something that no one else really cares much about or that's not going to change the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably one of the main things that drew me to it at the time was this any book where someone is passionately interested in writing um, or reading is you know always beguiling. I don't think I'd be as interested in this at all if it was you know about architects or something, which is you know not not interested in architects, but yeah. um, but it doesn't strike the same chord with me. Um, no, same with me. And I really liked the the flitting between the modern day and the past as well, which was nice. And I particularly enjoyed um, when they're in Whitby and uh, they're going to get jet and things like that. I was like, oh, I just love this. It's like everything <laughs> that I love in one book. Yes, I think she handles that really well. I think it can, you know, the parallels don't seem too annoyingly close between the two different couples. Yeah. But, but you know, it works. it works really well. I think that could have gotten been a bit annoying, particularly since she's made all these people up. They're not real poets, yeah. as you say. Um, so she can do whatever she likes for their lives. So judging the extent to which she should have similarities between them, um, yeah, was was a really impressive. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's a very long novel, which even even if you skip all the poetry, it's pretty long. <laughs> um, but you whip through it in so, a way yeah. that you don't through Wilkie Collins, I think. Yes, indeed, yeah. And it won the booker. Yes, it did. That in there. Yes. yes, it did. But I did think to myself, actually, because revisiting it was really interesting, because I remembered the first time I read it thinking, oh, this is you know, so much lecture, so dense, oh my goodness. Um, and then I read it this time, and I was like, oh, it's actually um, quite lowbrow, the writing. Um, but <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I did find and I and I did think the poetry was quite, I thought maybe I'll appreciate it more now, I'm coming to it later. I was like, no, it's just a bit naff, really. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it would win a prize these days, but it's really? still a really good book. And I think it's it's probably one of the first books that tried to do um, a kind of t- structure like this. And it's certainly, I think, quite unique in the story that it tells. I haven't read any stories about academics like this before that really kind of, I think, for having been on the edges of the academic world, um, really does capture what it's like. Yeah, I um, I mean, obviously, I was horrified at the beginning where he tears letter or letter out of a, or sorry, steals letter rather from a from a library book. But um, and I do, but yeah, having worked um around archivists and things, I think there's probably some similarities, yeah. um, in that world. And having worked n- near at least academics who are very interested in literary figures i think there is particularly with, with the really well-known ones this sort of forensic about it, if new details came out it would be as significant as something because i think if people completely unconnected to literature i think oh who cares if they find out these details it's yeah. just dead people but i mean if if a new letter came out that shakespeare had written it would overturn shakespeare scholarship basically because yeah. it's so little <laughs> i mean these aren't quite the same i guess but um but to set, certainly to some people, whichever big Victorian poet, if new if new material came out, it would be it would be huge, and it would be yeah to their lives. So I love that that is the catalyst for potential change in these lives. And um, yeah, yeah, 
Um, have you read anything else by A.S. Byatt? I read the children's book. Oh, yes, you did, didn't you? Yeah, which is an experience I don't wish to repeat. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I don't really know why she's so famous, to be honest. She's not that good, is she? <laughs> well, the only other book I've read by her was the Matisse stories, which is three stories based on Matisse paintings. And I did enjoy that. Um, but I think possibly she's quite famous for slagging other authors off in yeah. the press. <laughs> she's just a bit of grumpy and also having a feud with her sister. Of course, Margaret Travel, yes. Yeah, whose books um, I've never read. So I've only read um, The Garrick Year and I didn't like it at all. But um, yes, so, but I do have a few. The Millstone is apparently very good. So I intend to read that at some point. But somebody, I forget who, potentially Karen, um, emailed <laughs> and said we should compare it with the L-shaped room. So who knows, maybe one day we will. We'll get around to it at some point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I need to read more of her books and indeed refresh my memory before I make judgments. At the time, I did think she was a very good writer, but I hadn't read very many writers at the time, so I don't yeah. know. Um, but having said that, and looking at the time again, I... I'm still going to pick A.S. Byatt over Wilkie Collins in this particular T.O. Books decision-making process, um, mostly because I was so disappointed in not particularly liking The Woman oh, in White. Oh, no. It's so uh, sad. Sorry. You know, it's leaving my bookcase now. It's going to go from Power for the Charity Shop. Oh, well, that, that's really extreme for you. <laughs> I know, and I'm glad I've read it, um, and I've been waiting to read it for at least 13 years. <laughs> but... Um, it just and it, well, what I did think was reading it was what a good um, mini series it, it would make, and then saw that there is one coming out is early there? next year. Hopefully. No, really? Yeah, let's see if I can find. Uh, I've given away the decision, my decision, but uh, I will look it up. Um, have you seen the film of of Possession? I will ask whilst I'm looking that up. Yes, I have. Did you like it? It was all right, but they changed a lot. It'd be interesting to know what they did change to sign for that. But you know, Jennifer Ely's in it, so I loved it. Um, the Woman in White, where have you gone? IMDB. Yeah, it's, um, they have made a few versions, apparently, of the years, and if you've seen any of those of The Woman in White, but. No. Well, IMDB says 2017, but I assume that it has not been out yet. It's got Ben Hardy off of EastEnders. (laughs) (laughs) Charles Dance is in it. Um, and then lots of people whose names I don't recognise. Jessie Buckley, who's she? I know her oh, name. wasn't she on that singing show? Was she? Yeah, she did. Um, like how do when they wanted to find a musical star, like the Maria from the Sound of Music or something. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, that could be complete lie, but <laughs> that might be it. Um, I don't recognise any of the things that she's in on IMDb. So it looks like potentially not the most famous cast in the world, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, yeah. So, who knows when that's out? But uh, I think I think it's I think because the bones of the plot I found really fun and interesting, and if you could do away do it without the prose, then I probably really enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll probably watch it if it, if it comes out. Oh well, um, good. I'm not entirely put off, and I certainly will try another Wookie Collins at some point. Okay. Um, probably not for a while. <laughs> well, that's all right. I can accept that. Okay. <laughs> Um, how about you? Which one are you going to choose? I think actually I'd go for Possession as well because I don't think this is his best, uh, Wilkie Collins' best. Um, and I just think for it's kind of unique Possession in a way. And mm. I really enjoy it as a book on many different levels. 
Um, whereas, you know, there's loads of sensation novels out there with similar plots and devices. So it's mm. not exactly a unique thing. So, yeah, I would go with Possession, which I like very much and highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't read it. There you go. I got a feeling that may cause some outcry amongst our listeners, but I'd be interested to hear what people think. Yeah. <laughs> um, great. So, as I say, next episode, which hopefully will be out um, around Christmas time, not sure quite when, but um, <laughs> before, the, before the end of the year, uh, episode 50 with all the questions and answers. And again, you can send those to simonthomasoxford at gmail.com or on our blogs, stuckinabook.com and booksnob.wordpress.com. Thank you. Um, we've got face there. Um, otherwise, um, all the books and authors we mentioned today are, are on stuckinabook.com. And yes, we will be discussing more books, not sure which. Oh no, oh gosh, I've forgotten what we we're going to do. Yes. Questions. Well, the questions, but also the thing we we're going to do for the new year, where we each pick a book we want the other one to read. Oh yes. Have I, you done, have you come yes, with your book? I, I've forgotten what it is. You do mine and I'll see if I can remember. I'll just explain it for a second. So yes, okay. I thought it'd be fun um, if we both pick a book we think the other one will really love, but they haven't read yet. Um, and then we compare those against each other, which we'll be doing in January, and I've sort of stolen this idea from reading the end, where they call it The Reckoning, maybe? Anyway, um, it seemed like a fun idea, and the book that I've chosen for you, Rachel, Okay. so I don't think you read, you've read, but we have talked about on the podcast before, um, is The Boat by L.P. Hartley. Oh, okay, no, that's, I can read that, that's great. Cool. Um, what do you want, what have you got for me? Well, I, I don't know if you have read this or not, but do, have you read Wallace Stegner's Crossing to Safety? No, I haven't. Well, then that's what you're reading. Yeah, how exciting. Yeah. So, um, yes, our first episode in the new year, we'll be comparing those two books and we'll find out how well we know the reading tastes of each other. Yeah. What fun. Yeah. Great. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Bye. <laughs>